Amen. And so we've been in a series of messages entitled that time of year, answering the question, well, what time of year is it really? What's this time of year really all about? And we saw um, a couple of weeks ago that it's a time of mystery as we try to comprehend the mystery of God's love for us, the mystery of, of God coming in the flesh, the, the incarnation. But it's a wonderful mystery as God has revealed himself to us through the coming of Jesus. And, and then uh, last week we saw that this time of year, it's a time to receive. Um, the Bible says that to all who received him, to them he gave the, the power to become sons, the right to become sons, children of God. And, um, it, and God wants to encourage us through his word by his spirit this time of year that we would receive the gift of his son and all that he came to give to us and do for us. And this morning, our, our third message is entitled, A Time to Respond. A Time to Respond. And we're in Matthew chapter 2 this morning, looking at that passage of scripture that, that speaks to us about the visit of the Magi, the wise men. Um, and so we're looking at Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. And it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, or they rejoiced with great rejoicing. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Verse 16 says this, And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Father, we pray that you would bless your word to us this morning and that you would use it to, um, to help us to understand a little bit better how it is that you would have us respond to the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, even as we pray now, I just want to remember in prayer our sister Joan Burke. Would you pray with me, church, right now? that you would touch her, God, in her body, in her mind, in her spirit, and that, God, she would know that right now in the midst of, of her physical illness, that you are with her, be with her family, we pray as well. And we pray that, that the living Christ would touch her today. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Please keep um, Joan in prayer, if you will. And so 
today, that time of year, it's a time to respond. And each year as the Christmas season begins or as it gets underway, we find people respond to it in all kinds of ways. Some of us become like little kids. How many of us are like that? Like we just can't wait for Christmas to come. We just can't wait for, you know, to get the tree up and to, you know, open up our presents on Christmas morning. Anybody like that? No, no. Thank, thank you, Marie. Right, right. I know. Some of us become a bit nervous and anxious as we think about all the tasks that we need to get done, overwhelmed with the shopping list and the cooking and the baking and the traveling and the planning. Anybody like that here? Uh, some of us right, are, are, are courageous enough to admit to that one. Now, listen, some people try to ignore the whole thing. Thinking if they, if they close their eyes long enough, it'll all just go away, and before you know it, we'll be in January. And some people become like a modern-day Scrooge. Any Scrooges here today? Don't raise your hand. We're going to throw you out, you know? But they're almost angry that, that they would have to give their time, their money, their energy over to the frivolity of the Christmas season. But listen, we all respond to Christmas in some way. More than that, everyone responds to the birth of Jesus in some way. And that was true even with that very first Christmas, as we read it here in Matthew chapter 2. For everyone in the account that Matthew gives to us responded to the birth of Jesus in a different way. You see, as, as we read this story here, we find that for some reason, Mary and Joseph, the baby Jesus, they didn't leave Bethlehem immediately, but they settled down there for a bit. And thus, thus in Matthew chapter 2, we find Jesus and his family are still living there, maybe up to two years. And, and, and notice that it says that they came to, that the Magi came to the house. So they were no longer in the stable. I think they got out of there as quickly as they could. And so we find them there in a house, and it was while that they were there, we read of the coming of the Magi from the east looking for the newborn king of the Jews. For somehow they knew that the star they had seen represented the birth of a Jewish king, and, and being that it was the birth of a Jewish king, they naturally first went to Jerusalem, the capital, where the palace would be, where the king would live, looking to pay him homage Instead, however, they meet a jealous and deceitful Herod who knew nothing of the child's birth. And so Herod, he calls in the scribes, he calls in the priests for information regarding the Messiah's birth. And these men eventually point the Magi to Bethlehem. And so the Magi leave Jerusalem and head to Bethlehem where they once again see the star over the place where Jesus is. As we go through this story, we find Three different sets of people, each with a different response to the birth of Jesus. And this morning, I want us to look at these. And as we do, I want us to ask ourselves, how have I responded to Christmas? That is, how have I responded to the birth of Jesus? More than that, let me ask you, how have you responded to Jesus? How have you responded to Jesus? Response number one, we find from Herod, from King Herod. And his response was a response of agitation and anger. I think we have a slide for that there. Um, but response number one, agitation and anger. Because notice verse number three says, 
that when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. That word means troubled. It means agitated. Brother Steve, if you could help us in the back there. Thank you. Appreciate that. It means that he was disturbed. He was agitated. It's like the stirring of the water. For upon hearing of the birth of the Messiah, Herod became uneasy. He became stirred up. And eventually that disturbance, we find, it turned into anger and even into hate. Now, you see, we need to understand that this Herod was different from the Herod who was alive and who reigned during the rest of Jesus' life. This was Herod the Great, who then died in 4 AD, so just shortly after this. This was the Herod who had rebuilt the temple with majesty and and with splendor, even greater than that which, which Solomon had built it with. This Herod was highly respected by the Romans for for many years and held his position as king of the Jews because of his great political cunning and prowess. But this same Herod, who because of his insecurities, jealousies, paranoia, and love of power, was the one who had executed just about every one of his family members, including the one wife he supposedly loved. How do you like to be that wife that he loved? and at least three of his own sons. In fact, Herod's reign became known as a reign of blood. In fact, it was said in those days that it was better, and it's a little play on the words in Greek, that it was better to be one of Herod's pigs, hos, H-O-S, than to be one of his sons, hios, right, H-I-O-S. It was better to be one of his pigs than one of his sons. You had a better chance to stay alive. And although he was called king of the Jews, in actuality, Herod was not a Jew at all, although he claimed to be one. But Herod was an Edomite. That means he came from the line of Esau, came from a nation that was actually, for most of its history, an enemy of Israel. But his family had come into political power and favor with the Roman government. And so Herod had no links to the Davidic throne nor any real claim as royalty over the Jews. But rather, Herod was an appointee of Rome. He was a servant of Rome, and thus his his was not inherent power, but it was derived power. And as long as he kept Caesar happy, he kept his throne. That could explain much of his paranoia and his fear. But notice there's a side to Herod that is intelligent. It was intelligent and insightful. For it's noteworthy that although the Magi asked about the birthplace of the king of the Jews, Herod asked the scribes and the priests regarding the birthplace of the Messiah, the Christ. For somehow Herod knew that this one of whom the Magi were inquiring was not just an ordinary king, but the one who is prophesied to be the the Messiah of God's people. And that makes his response to the birth of Jesus all the more serious and yet maybe all the more understandable. For when we look at Herod, we find that he had two main concerns. The first is Herod was concerned about his own life. That's why he was killing off anyone who threatened his life, anyone who who threatened him in any way. He wasn't, first of all, concerned about other people or the well-being of his nation. He, he, He would have had no concept of the term servant leader. And if he could have his own sons killed in order to preserve his life and his position, it's not surprising that he would have ordered the execution of a whole town, a whole little town of baby boys, because he was first and foremost concerned about himself, and he was concerned about the things of his life. For Herod had no time for real religion. 
Oh, yeah, he built the temple, but he had never really taken time to deal face-to-face with his own sin. He didn't want to deal with eternity or the life to come. To him, religion was something you did for political convenience, a tool to be used. There was no heart in his religious expressions. He would speak the language with the priests and the, and the and scribes, and he would go into, in, into the temple, and he would go through the rituals of, of worship, but, but his heart wasn't there. What Herod cared about was his position, his power, his fortunes, his lifestyle. And thus, anything and everything that threatened those things had to be swiftly removed. And so to Herod, the birth of this child whom the whom the Magi sought, it was a threat, a threat to his position, a threat to his power, a threat to his lifestyle. For if it was true that this baby was meant to be the Messiah of the Jewish people, it meant, at least in Herod's mind, the end of his rule. And thus Herod was stirred up. He was agitated. He was disturbed. He was troubled. And it was only a short walk from agitated to angry than to hatred. For Herod hated anyone who would threaten his crown. Without ever having met him, Herod hated this child. The one who had come to be his savior and Messiah. And thus he deceitfully asked the Magi to report back to him the baby's locations that, that he might go and worship him as well. Of course, it was a lie. And when they don't return to him, he's filled with that anger and hatred and eventually orders the killing of a whole town of baby boys. See, Herod so hated the Christ child that he was willing to do whatever he thought necessary to eradicate him from his life and from his world once and for all. And as we consider the coming of Jesus into our world, I would dare say that although few would go as far as did Herod, many have been agitated and troubled by Jesus and even angered by him. And yes, some do hate him, have hated him, usually without ever having met him for themselves. And I believe that there are yet many in our world who would like to rid the world of anything that has to do with Jesus. After all, Jesus is a threat to the status quo of our world. Jesus calls for a change in lifestyle, a change in mindset, a change in the standards by which we live, a change in the standards by which we govern Jesus calls for us to give up our own thrones and allow him to sit on the throne of our hearts. Jesus claims to be the one way to God the Father, and Jesus claims to be God and King and Lord over all things. And many people don't like that. I mean, why do you think it is like a government such as we've seen in China? That would, that would move in and just, just as communism rose up, they just closed all the churches. And even today, the church is under great, great persecution, greater than it's been in years in China, as they, try to, as they try to close the churches. They want to get Jesus out of the country. I just saw on, on, on TV recently, anybody see that show, The Great um, Christmas Light Fight? I don't know if that's how you say it, right, where all these people are decorating their houses like crazy. Right? Anybody watch that at all? Anybody see that? Right, a couple of you, right, right? And, and, and there was this one family, they had emigrated here years ago from Cuba, and they were asked, like, why do you decorate your house like that? And, 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 and the father said, right, the dad said, he said, because in Cuba, we were not allowed to celebrate Christmas. 
When Fidel Castro came in, everything about Christmas had to be shut down. It all went underground. We couldn't have any lights up. You couldn't have a Christmas tree. You couldn't have any sign. And he goes, now that I'm here in America and I've been free, I want to do it up big time. The government comes in and wants to get rid of anything that has to do with Jesus. We see it around our world. Right, where there are those who want to get rid of anything that has to do with Jesus. And thus, like Herod, they're agitated by Jesus. They're angered by Jesus. They even hate Jesus. And it's no wonder there are so many who don't really want to keep Christ in Christmas. Church, can I say, we say we want to keep Christ in Christmas. Amen. But can we actually do it? Can we actually do it? And I put a challenge. I did it last year, last week as well. Make Jesus the centerpiece, not the family. I mean, I you know I love my family, but we're going to come and we're going to worship Jesus, right? And, and, you know, and the traveling, all that's fun and it's great, but listen, Jesus, he's the centerpiece. Let's keep him in the center, right? But there are those who want to get him out, right? And Listen, to me, I don't care. You can say happy holidays to me, right? It's not a big deal. You know why? Because I celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, and New Year's, right? So I got a lot of holidays. Some of you only have two. I have three. It's not about whether we say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. It's about what we do with our time and what's happening in our hearts and minds. That's how we keep Christ in Christmas. There are those who respond like Herod did, they're agitated, even angered, and some even go as far as hatred towards Jesus and his birth. Response number two, though, is the scribes and the priests. And from them we find what I would call apathy. Apathy. What's interesting about the scribes and priests is they were the ones with the knowledge of the scriptures and the ones who could answer Herod's questions concerning the birth of Messiah. These men were the ones who should have had a sense of the timing of Messiah's birth, not the Magi. And they should have been the ones to have jumped on the first bus to Bethlehem. I mean, when they found it there, what, there's a star, and you're telling us this happened, the king of the Jews was born, you know, Messiah has come. They should have been on that bus saying, I'm going to get there before you. But instead, we find a group of men who, although religious, seem quite apathetic about Jesus' birth. Whereas we read of an emotional response from Herod, he's agitated, angry, and so forth. And, and as we'll see in a moment, an emotional response from the Magi, joy and worship, none is recorded about these men. They were just apathetic. It seems, at least on the surface, they just didn't care. For notice, they didn't have to search long to find out the birthplace of the Messiah. They, they, they came up with the right answer almost right away. And yet for all their knowledge of the scriptures and all their theological training, somehow the birth of the Messiah just passed them by. Think about it. For up to two years, for up to two years, the shepherds knew about the birth of Jesus. Many in Bethlehem knew about his birth. Simeon and Anna and Anna knew about it. Joseph and Mary knew about it. Even these Gentile astronomers knew it, but these who should have known it did not. The ones who should have led the procession to the manger did, did not. These whom we would have thought would have taken the Magi themselves to, to Bethlehem were content to stay in Jerusalem and just kind of send the Magi on their way. And when it came down to it, 
These men were not interested in a Messiah and the salvation he would bring. They were more interested in their own theology and religious rituals. They had no room in their hearts and lives for the Savior of God's people, and thus they kept kept their distance, made believe it was not so, and came up with all the reasons they could to not only ignore him, but even disregard him. You see, this was a group of men who had a head knowledge regarding the Messiah, but they had no room in their hearts for him. The truth is they didn't care to make room for him. They wanted to ignore him. They kind of hoped he would just go away and let them be. And in fact, the later events of Jesus' life and his relationship with these religious leaders bears this all out. For at first they tried to ignore Jesus. He'll just go away. Then they tried to discredit Jesus. And then eventually they had to have him killed. And what we find is that these who began as apathetic towards Jesus eventually joined the forces of the Herods of their day. For as Jesus would say, he who is not for me is what? Is against me. He who is not for me is against me. Listen, there are many people who, like the scribes and priests, are so caught up in their own little world, they don't have time to deal with the fact that Jesus has come. Oh, they... You know, they might know that Jesus, that Christmas is, is about the birth of Jesus. They might like having a little bit of religion here and there. They might even have a lot of theological head knowledge. But, but to them, Jesus, in, in, in essence, is, is a non-entity, a thing, a person to be ignored. Like the scribes and priests, they'd rather not deal with this whole Jesus thing. They'd prefer if he just kind of go away and not upset the apple cart of their life and their world. But the funny thing about Jesus is, Jesus doesn't let us ignore him for long. Jesus doesn't allow us to remain apathetic towards him for long. And eventually, we will end up either loving him or rejecting him. Eventually, we will be either for him or against him. We will either try to rid ourselves of him or we will find ourselves worshiping him. And in the meantime... There are so many people who live their lives as if he had never come. They go about the business of their lives as if God had never sent his son, as if a savior had never been born. Their response is one of apathy, at least for the moment. They just don't give Jesus a second thought. Oh, yeah, again, they might go to church now and then. They might know that Christmas is about Jesus' birth, but he's just kind of out there. He doesn't really impact my life. Again, Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. And there might be someone here today that your response to Jesus has been kind of like that, just kind of apathetic. You know, I don't hate Jesus. I'm not upset about Jesus, but he doesn't really have all that much to do with my life. I don't really, I'm not really, I don't really want to give my life to following him and really put him in the center of my life. I'll just kind of leave him on the side. But again, Jesus says, listen, if you're not for me, you're against me. He calls us to go beyond that response of apathy. And eventually to come, God willing, to the third response we see, the response of the Magi. And that's a response of adoration. And here we find the one group of men within this story who seem to have gotten it right, and thus they respond with worship and adoration before the Christ child. You see, some might say, well, who, you know, who were these magi? And they're kind of mi a little mysterious to us, aren't they? 
But these were men from the east, probably from Babylon or Persia, maybe from Arabia. And they were part of a well-educated class whose training included astronomy, astrology, the sciences, philosophy, history, and religion. And they readily mixed together the natural and the supernatural. As well, they studied and took elements from the various religions into their own belief system. And so it's not unusual that they would have had some knowledge of the Jewish scriptures and a a sense of, of an important event that had taken place in the land of the Jews. And it would not have been all that strange that they took note of an astronomical um, event, the appearance of a star, and applied it to a historical event, the birth of a Jewish king. And even though it was outside of their religious and political sphere, they could kind of take all of their learning and, and, and with the star there and so on, and somehow they brought it all together. But there's something else we need to note about these magi, something that's very important to Matthew's gospel. Because you see, as as you look at Matthew's gospel, we find that his gospel was written specifically to the Jewish people and to Jewish believers. And the important thing here is this, that these men, as mysterious as they were, and so many things that we don't know about them, but the one thing we do know is that these men were Gentiles. They were goyim. That is, they were not part of the Jewish nation. They and their people had not been waiting for centuries for Messiah to come. They had not been anticipating his, his arrival. And thus, it's almost odd that they of all people made the journey that they did and that they of all people responded with such joy and worship and adoration once they found the child. Yet it was these Gentile wise men who put forth the effort to find this one born king of the Jews and the only ones within the story who, when they fa- who actually found him and then worshipped him. And to Matthew's audience, those who would have been reading Matthew's gospel, a Jewish audience, the contrast is great. It's almost startling. Whereas Herod, the king of the Jews, was angry about the birth of this new king, whereas the religious leaders had almost no interest in the supposed Messiah, it was these Gentiles and only them who actually sought him out and when they found him, offered to Jesus the adoration that he, obser- that he deserved. Listen, these guys may not have understood all of the theological significance of Jesus' birth. They may not have worshipped him like we do as the Son of God, born to be the Savior of the world. But their worship of him is significant nonetheless and actually prophetic. It's a prophetic word. It was prophetic worship. For although they may not have understood the purpose of this child's birth, again, they were the only ones who came and bowed before him and offered him gifts of royalty. It was they alone who showed any reverence and respect. It was these Gentile men who alone give the Son of God the honor he was due. And again, it's prophetic as we think about the nations, not just the Jewish people, but Jesus coming for the nations, for all people, for all the children of the world. Amen, church? It was prophetic worship that took place there that day, pointing to the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, we might think of these magi as rich and powerful people, but in the context of the story, they're outsiders, just like Mary and Joseph, just like the shepherds, people of no standing, no real influence or power. They were were those people, again, the goyim, 
And yet, according to the scriptures, Jesus came for them too. For as the prophet Isaiah had written of the Messiah in Isaiah 42, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you, and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Or as old man Simeon said when he took that baby Jesus in his arms, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. In other words, Jesus Christ was born for all, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, people from the east and people from the west, and on and on we can go with all of the contrast. But the thought is this, that eventually each one of us must Decide what we're going to do for G- with Jesus because Jesus has come for each one of us. Jesus has come for each one of us. As the saying goes, wise men still seek him. Michelle, I think you said that to me yesterday. Wise men still seek him. I would go on to say this. Wise men will find him. And wise men will worship him. Wise men will worship him. Kim, if you come, please. Christmas, you see, is a time that calls for a response. That is, each one of us must respond in some way to the fact that this one named Jesus, this one who came as God in the flesh, this promised Savior and Messiah has come. And not only did he come, not only was he born, but the scriptures show us that he went on to live a sinless life. And that eventually he died on a cross, paying the price for our sins, the sins of all mankind. And then he rose from the grave and eventually ascended to heaven. And today it is through Jesus that that we are offered God's gift of salvation, that indescribable gift. Oh, throughout time, people have responded to him in all kinds of ways, from agitation to anger to apathy. Some have tried to rid the world of him, while others have tried to ignore him or rationalize him away. Some have been hostile towards him, while others have just kind of set him to the side. But there have always been those like the wise men who've responded with the only response that is truly appropriate when it comes to Jesus. The response of the wise, adoration that comes from a heart that's filled with faith. And thus they've responded to him as Lord and Savior, giving their lives to following him and worshiping him, offering to him the gift of their lives, as broken as those lives may be. They say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And I'm going to worship you with everything that's in me. And I know that there are many here this morning that that's been your response to Jesus. That as you've come to understand all that he's done for you through his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, you've said, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to worship Jesus. That's the response that the, that the scriptures call each one of us to today. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Or as we read last week, John writes in his gospel that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of of God. Or as we read at the beginning of, of, of our service this morning, speaking of Jesus emptying himself of his divinity, 
But at the end of that, that hymn that Paul writes there, he that Jesus became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then he says, and therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can someone say amen? Hallelujah. That's the response. Listen, we don't want to wait to the end of time that we worship him. We, we want to do that now, even with our lives. We don't want to be like Herod's who, who, who become agitated and angry over Jesus. Nor do we want to be like those scribes and priests who just kind of are apathetic and just kind of leave him to the side and hope that he'll go away. No, listen, we want to be like those wise men, don't we? We want to be like those magi who come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I worship you. I worship you with the best that I have. I worship you with the best that I can, I can pour out to you. Jesus, I worship you with my words. I worship you with my heart. I worship you with my song. I worship you with my life. I worship you with everything I have, everything I hope for, everything I hope to be. Jesus, I worship you today. Oh, you know the hymn, oh, come all ye faithful. Oh, come all ye faithful to do what? That eventually we would say, oh, come let us adore him. That's what Jesus is calling us to today. That's what God is calling us to do today. Let me ask you this morning, how have you responded to Jesus? How have you responded to Jesus? Will you bow your heads with me? Worship team, would you come join us here? How have you responded to Jesus? And each one of us this morning needs to decide, have you been a Herod? Have you been like the scribes and priests? Or have you been like those magi? Have you been willing to give the best of your heart and life to him? Have you been willing to worship him and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you with all that's within me? worshiping him in faith, confessing Jesus is Lord. Listen, if you're here this morning and you say, listen, pastor, would you pray for me? I want to be like one of those wise men. I'm ready to give my life. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus, to following Jesus, to worshiping Jesus, maybe for the very first time. But that's your prayer. You, you say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to worship Jesus with my life. If that's you right now, would you just lift your hand? I want to I want to just pray for you. We're not going to embarrass you or anything, but I just want to be able to pray for you this morning. How many here right now, you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm ready to give my life to following and worshiping Jesus. So Lord, this morning, we thank you. We thank you for who Jesus is. We thank you for all that Jesus came to be and to do for us. I pray for those right now whose hands are lifted, whose hearts are lifted to you. Lord, that you would bless them, that you would touch them, that you would help them to know the wonderful grace and power of Jesus Christ at work in their life today. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to move beyond all these other responses and that we would be like those wise men willing to seek you out with all of our heart willing to follow you, to serve you, and to worship you with all that's within us. And so we give ourselves to you today. 
In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.